BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 455 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. And he swings! Welcome back to The Call-Up, your go-to podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball. As always, I'm your host, Aram Layton, and in today's episode, we have an awesome interview with one of my favorite dudes in the minor leagues, Matt Mervis of the Chicago Cubs organization joins the show. Not only has Mervis been one of the best hitters in the minor leagues so far this season, I mean, literally, if you look at WRC+, he is third in all of minor league baseball among qualified hitters. He also has a pretty darn cool story as a former two-way player at Duke, then ultimately does not hear his name called because the 2020 draft was shortened to just five rounds, gets an opportunity with the Cubs as an undrafted free agent, and has made the most of that. He had a decent year last year, but wasn't to his standards, as you'll hear him talk about on the podcast, and really made some adjustments going into this year, made some mental adjustments, some small tweaks at the plate, and he has been dynamite this year. As of the moment that we are recording this, he is hitting 350, 389, 650 in high A with seven home runs and a 186 WRC+. Crazy enough, right after we recorded this back on Monday, Mervis got the call up to double A, so congratulations to him. Very excited to see him up at the double A level now and hard-earned for sure. It was really fun to just talk about some of the adjustments he's made at the plate, also just talking about the journey that he has had all the way through up until where he is because so many minor leaguers were so impacted by the COVID cancellation of the season and the shortening of the draft. Mervis is as good of a dude as you're going to find in the minor leagues, and 
what's crazy is also how clutch he has been uh, so far this season. I know a lot of Cubs fans keep tabs on their minor league affiliates, and Mervis has come up with a bunch of clutch hits, a couple very clutch home runs, and that's something that I've seen as a trend on Twitter as uh, people were saying, never nervous Mervis and uh, some other funny things like that. So very cool to see him get that kind of recognition. And I think after this interview, if you're a Cubs fan, you're going to love Mervis even more. If you're not a Cubs fan, you're going to want to follow along and see him succeed and climb through the minor leagues because he's a great dude. He's a hard worker. He's extremely talented, and it was really fun to talk to him. So here is Matt Mervis, first baseman in the Chicago Cubs organization. And here is one of the hottest hitters in the minor leagues right now. And that, that's no exaggeration. Literally, you look at any metric, Matt Mervis is swinging it as well as anybody. Matt, thanks so much for taking the time to hop on, man. It's, it's good catching up with you. Thanks for having me. Good to see you again. Yeah. So for the listeners who might not know, uh, I got to know you a little bit earlier at Duke, given a bunch of mutual friends, my high school teammates played with you at Duke, Griffin Conan, Mike Rothenberg, Zach Cohn, all played with you at Duke. But then small or small world situation, I go broadcast in the Cape in 2019 uh, and you're out there playing for Katuit. I'm calling games for Katuit. And I got to see you really mash because you were always a two way guy power bat, but also threw hard on the mound. You threw a little bit in the Cape as well. Uh, but what I saw from you on the offensive side of things in the Cape, I was like, man, this guy can swing it. You finally got the opportunity and now you are making the most of it. And it, it, it's been wild. We'll get into the numbers so far, but how are you feeling after just what is a ridiculous start to your 2022 campaign? I feel great. I mean, this is what I expected out of myself last year. Uh, the numbers weren't great and and I was frustrated just knowing that I'm a better player than than how I presented myself and how the season went. Um, and so getting back to that that 2019 summer where uh, I kind of feel the same in the batter's box. Um, I'm really confident with with where my swing's at. So that takes that factor out of it. And all I have to do is, is see the ball and swing at the right pitches. And I mean, you've been doing that. And with, with the Cubs, too, that you, you get that opportunity because for you, it was how early did you realize maybe, hey, I, I'm probably more of a bat than than an arm in terms of, of your pro potential? I mean, you hit well in college, but you also pitched well in spots of college. And again, both you looked good in the Cape. What really impressed me in the Cape, though, for, for those who may not have looked up the numbers, I know Cubs fans probably know your Cape numbers. We were talking about that before we recorded how Cubs fans are nuts in the best way possible. Uh, they just are so educated on top to bottom, uh, you know, their their farm system. But what you did in the Cape was amazing. 325, 418, 571 slash line. You hit four home runs. And if it weren't for Nick Gonzalez, you know, I think you probably would have had a case as one of the best offensive players in the Cape. But your teammate, Nick Gonzalez, who we were also talking about before we recorded, was sitting in front of you um, and you rarely saw him walk back towards you because that guy got on base almost every single time. Uh, was the Cape a big moment for you? Uh, I know you've always been confident in your abilities, but it's one thing to be confident in yourself. It's another thing to see yourself excel at what was at the time the highest level you could possibly play at. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I want to thank Nick for a lot of those RBIs. Uh, he's <laughs> always, always on base. So it made my job a little bit easier. Um, but yeah, the Cape is where, where I realized, you know, I can, I can really hit at the next level. Um, you know, after my junior, junior season at Duke, I didn't get drafted. Um, I didn't pitch a ton. I hit a lot. Um, but the numbers kind of trailed off at the end of the year and, and the old voice in the back of my head was going, you know, maybe, maybe pitching is the right path. Um, I've been told that since I was probably 14, 15 years old, you know, the future's 
in pitching. There's more pitchers on rosters. I throw hard. All I have to do is develop an off-speed pitch, stuff like that. But, you know, deep down, I always knew I was a hitter. Um, I, I had a good arm so I could throw hard and get outs early on. But I, I knew that I was a better, more talented hitter. Um, I just had to put the put the pieces together. So going up there, working with Mike Roberts, who we talked about a little bit earlier, um, former Cubs coach, which we still had him. But, um, you know, he he really helped me develop confidence in myself as a hitter, and my swing, understanding what I what I should be trying to do. Um, simplifying, you know, that was back when Schwarber and Rizzo were on the team and Robert saw them firsthand in, in spring training, how simple their swings were. Um, you know, they're, they're big, powerful guys, but they don't try to do that on every pitch in every situation. So, um, I, I learned a, a ton from him and I credit him with a lot of my success so far. And it's funny because, you know, I saw a lot of guys from that Katuit Kettleers team in the Cape, you know, get opportunities uh, with the Cubs. Joe Nahas, another one that, you know, under the radar, really talented guy that ends up getting scooped up by the Cubs and has had some early success in his professional career. And it shows you just how much talent there is out there, how hard it is to be identified. And, you know, for you, you mentioned you don't get picked. Then you have the big summer. Then you go into 2020. And you were off to a great start. You, you had a 1,000 OPS through your first 16 games. And unfortunately, we all know what happened in 2020. That was a tough spot already being, you know, a senior to try to get drafted. You got to really perform, but you were on your way to doing that. The 2020 draft was cut down to five rounds. And, uh, you know, that's one of those spots where it was really difficult. And you probably figured it had to be an international or international undrafted free agent situation. What did you feel like was going to happen there? And, and where were you at mentally in that 2020 draft situation? Because a lot of really talented players resulted, you know, ended up not getting picked and had to decide, do I go back for another year? Do I sign for the maximum $20,000 for you? You were already a senior. You know, what was that whole situation like? I was in an interesting spot. Um, so I, you mentioned Mike Rothenberg earlier. Uh, we went down, I think five other Duke teammates went down to Mike's house. We were working out at Cressy during the shutdown. Um, and that added a few extra factors because, you know, the MLBPA um, debates were going on with the commissioner's office about um, how to handle all the money lost with COVID. And part of that was the draft um, and whether it would be five rounds or 10 rounds and what the free agent situation would look like. So, um, you know, Jarvis was a for sure draft pick. But some of the other guys that were down there, Thomas Gerard, Loperfito, Rothenberg, you know, none of those guys ended up getting picked. So we were all in the same situation. Um, you know, what what was the free agent situation going to look like? What would the maximum signing bonus be? Things like that. And for the other three guys I just mentioned, they're a year younger than me. Um, so they were thinking they had I had the extra year as well because of COVID, but they had their true senior year as long or as well as the the fifth year from COVID. So. Um, they had some extra factors, but, you know, just going through that process, I, I felt pretty good about getting an opportunity. Um, like you said, I, I had a pretty good start to my senior year and I was in contact with enough teams to where, you know, even if the draft didn't happen, I felt like I would have free agent opportunities and just did my research based on where I thought the best fits would be for me. 
And and what ultimately made you feel like the Cubs were, were the best pick for you or the best choice? Because I, I imagine that, you know, w- with what you were able to prove in the Cape, which we know teams put a ton of stock on. Um, if it was a, a full draft, a lot of teams would have wanted to select you just based off of that Cape performance. I think you could have probably played poorly in the 16 games to follow up to start your senior season. And a bunch of teams would still have been interested because of that Cape performance. That's how much weight it holds. How did you end up deciding on the Cubs? Because I'm sure you had many teams to, to choose from. Yeah, I had a, a good relationship with the Cubs going back to uh, my high school days. Mm. Uh, even in East Coast Pro, the the regional eastern half of the country showcase, um, I was taken out of my region by Billy Swope, who's uh, a, he. I think he won the the amateur scout of the year for the Cubs in 2018, 19, one of those years. So he's a well respected scout uh, in my area, and I've had a good relationship with him since then. Mike Roberts, obviously, um, talked to him a bunch about the process and he was trying to be unbiased as, as he could just trying to help my, help me in my career going forward. But he's, he was a Cubs employee at the time. And then I just kind of looked at the organization, how they develop players, what kind of left-handed hitters they have in the, in the minor league system. Um, and just kind of added all those things together and, and thought that the Cubs would be the best fit for me. So far, it's been a great fit. You talked about not quite getting where you wanted to be in that first season, but now so far this year, you're hitting 350, with a 389 on base and a 650 slugging percentage, seven home runs. I mean, 186 WRC plus for the analytics people out there. That would put you in the top five in all of minor league baseball among qualified hitters. What has clicked for you uh, this year? Because I mean, look, you, you we've seen you do this. We knew you were capable of this. I know you knew you were capable of this. But at the end of the day, this is another notch up at a high, the highest level of competition you've really played at for any long duration in your career. What has really worked for you? Is it off-season adjustments? Was there anything that really changed to take your game to the next level here? Just trying to get back to the swing that I had in 2019. Um, you know, a lot of people say don't be retroactive in your thoughts and don't try to create a swing that's worked in the past, but that's when I felt most comfortable. Um, it's one of my, one of the shorter swings I've ever had most compact of the ball, which is obviously huge at this level. Guys are throwing harder, breaking balls are better. So, you know, really trying to minimize my movements, make everything more simple and more consistent. Um, you know, our hitting coaches here, we have a couple of guys who play professional baseball and they have their experience and we have great analytics departments. So um, putting all those pieces together and, once I feel confident in my swing, it's just going out and hitting. Um, like I said earlier, just trying to swing at the right pitches. And I've been getting some some fastballs over the plate late in counts, late in the game and, and not missing them. So that helps. But, um, you know, it's just a, a combination of a, of a bunch of factors that I feel really good with right now. How were you like historically left on left? Was that something that ever was was difficult for you or did you always feel pretty comfortable left on left? Um. I think I've developed over the years a little bit, but I've never really felt uncomfortable to the point where I I can't get the job done or or get ahead or anything like that. Um, You know, sometimes I see it better than others. I think that just comes and goes, but um, yeah, it's not something that I concern myself with or too, with too much. The, The reason why I ask is because, you know, generally speaking, you look at these big power hitting, you know, lefties and you talk about how you've shortened your swing and, you know, try to be as compact as possible. And we're going to go on, on StreamYard. I, I told you about that a little bit before, which we can go through some of the videos and swings I pulled from the season. 
your your reaction and, and almost just how quickly you've been able to, to kind of get that barrel out there is really impressive. But also, I feel like that that compactness is really helps you left on left. Right. Especially with lefties that might have stuff that can run in on your hands and and all the different things that you see, all the different arm slots, especially from lefties. You're eating 375 with a 1000 OPS left on left so far this year, albeit it's 35 plate appearances, but 12 hits and 35 plate appearances with a pair of home runs is pretty impressive. And uh, you know, that's a big separator for me when I'm looking at guys, right? Cause it's like hitting lefties. If you can't do it, it's going to get exposed at the higher levels and you're going to see more and more lefties as you climb. What is the one thing without giving away too much? And I know, uh, you know, pitchers are probably looking for ways to get you out right now. So we don't want to give them too much information. But, you know, what's something that you continuously try to work on? Because even though you're hitting uh, as well as anybody in the minor leagues, everyone has that one thing when they're maybe not going right that they always want to tweak or or make sure is going right. You know, is there something in the box that's still a cue for you or something that you're still always looking to, to be sure of? Yeah, like I said earlier, just simplify. Um, I have to be able to hit the ball to the left center against lefties. A lot of guys aren't going to try to bust me in just because they see the home run numbers. Um, and, and so if they're going to throw sliders away or, or try to get me to chase fastballs away, coming across the strike zone, I have to be able to just go with it the other way. Um, there's not a lot of times where I'm going to get the head out and pull a ball off the lefty for power. Um, so if I can just take my hits going to left center, drive in runs, hit a couple doubles in the gap, then that does the job. Did, did the, uh, I guess just the ending of your pitching career, did that change anything for you in terms of the way you work out, the way you focus or, or anything like that? The reason why I ask is we had Alec Burleson on who, uh, you know, I don't, you might've played him in college, right? At East yeah, Carolina University. Great player off to a phenomenal start to his professional career. He was a two-way guy. You probably faced him left on left and, uh, you know, a great hitter but never quite had the power as much. And he said that, you know, after he stopped pitching, because he was one of their main arms too, he was able to really kind of focus on, on bulking more. So although you could, you could argue that a lot of pitchers have no problem bulking nowadays anyways, but was there anything that you focused on or that changed once you said, Hey, I'm no longer pitching. I actually didn't face him thankfully because he was in the weekend. So (laughs) I escaped, I escaped that one. But uh, like I mentioned earlier, I was down at Cressy in, in 2020 and, I kind of made the decision at that point that I was going to stop pitching and try to focus on my hitting career, um, knowing that free agency was likely I would be able to choose. Um, so I, I told Eric and his staff that, you know, write me a hitter's workout. I don't want to focus on arm care right now. I don't want to, you know, do whatever they would write up for a pitcher. Um, and, and I think I started moving a lot better. Um, the strength I've always been, strong enough. I I had good weight room numbers at school, but I didn't move properly. Mm -hmm. So really focusing on, you know, getting more flexible, increasing my mobility, stuff like that, doing more yoga, doing more fitness motion stuff, whatever terms you want to use, you know, that stuff has made me really understand my body more. Um, and there's still plenty of work to do in that sense, but just getting that going has, has, I think really helped me as a hitter. So I, I hear yoga a lot. I know, I know a lot of different professional players are doing that now. Um, I, I always hated it personally. Um, our, my senior year, our coach made us do yoga and I would half-ass it and try to get out of it. It seems like this is a really, really big and helpful thing for a lot of hitters. Uh, and I say especially hitters because of the, the hip mobility and all the things that you're able to do in the box and all the movements that you're able to kind of 
uh, be able to, to just be more elastic as a hitter. How much has that really been able to help you? And then also is just, just not having to worry about arm care, the amount of bandwidth and energy that that requires, as I can imagine, just to be able to stay healthy, eliminating that from the regiment. Uh, I feel like that's got to be huge too. Yeah, I think yoga helps a lot. Um, not only is it the mobility and flexibility aspect, but it's also the breathing. Um, you know, being able to be in uncomfortable positions and use your breath to, to get deeper and more flexible and also to, you know, calm yourself down. Um, a lot of hitting is mental as we all know, and, and using my breath and even with the pitch clock. Now we, we have such little time in between pitches and one breath can make a huge difference. So, um, yoga has helped me physically and mentally both in, and hitting, uh, and the arm care aspect. Yeah. I mean, my, my days at school were pretty interesting, you know, trying to balance bullpens in between BP and, and defensive work and um, arm care as a pitcher throwing with, we had a couple other two A's at school. So throwing with them while other guys are doing base running or whatever, and then hopping on a bullpen really quick, you know, running straight to team defense and stuff like that. It's just hectic. And like you said, the arm care itself is another, however much time it takes in the, in the training room and, pre-game, post-game, all that stuff. So um, I think even in the Cape, I was coming back after games I had pitched in and, and spending a little extra time just doing band work at the field by myself. You know, Coach Roberts is there cleaning up and I'm the only one just standing in the outfield doing bands. And, you know, it takes a toll. <laughs> you want to go home and eat and get to bed. And, um, just not having to worry about that extra factor is, is maybe able to relax a little bit. So I'm obviously a little bit biased, but your 2018 Duke team, uh, you know, you look back now at, at how many pro players have come out of that club and, and how many professional big leaguers have, have come out of that group. Uh, it's pretty amazing. And I know you guys do a pretty good job of, of staying in touch for the most part, uh, it's, you know, some more than others, but it's, it's just life takes you in so many different directions. And I always see that the Duke guys, you know, somewhat staying connected. You talked about the, uh, right before you guys ended up going into that 2020 season uh, or the draft, you know, having that South Florida congregation a little bit to work out and get going, but just looking at the, at the ball club that you guys had in 2018, uh, obviously Griffin Conine, second round pick Zach Cohn was a guy that ended up getting drafted. Jack Loboski, not far away from a potential big league debut with what he's been doing. Pitching wise, Joey Loperfito recently drafted swinging it well uh, with the Astros yourself, of course, Mike Rothenberg recently drafted. And that's just on the offensive side. Then you go on the pitching side. You got guys like, I don't think Bryce Jarvis, he was there. Yeah. Bryce Jarvis as well. First round pick. And then Graham Stinson drafted Mitch Stallings drafted. I mean, just endless professional players. And I'm, I'm missing several others. How crazy is it? Am I, is it confirmation bias because I've been following that team or is that one of the most talented teams you think that in, in recent memory in the ACC? Oh, that team was loaded. Um, a couple of guys you didn't mention are, are in double AA, A, triple A as well. And just there's so much talent on that one team. Um, you know, I didn't even play that year. I, I pitched a little bit, but <laughs> Loperfito came in as a freshman and played 56 games and hit 315 with a couple bombs. Like, mm -hmm. so we had a ton of hitters. Um, all three outfielders are currently in pro ball, both catchers. Um, just crazy amounts of professional baseball players and, and talent on that team. And yep. it showed, I mean, we had a great season. Jimmy Heron, uh, who I miss is raking right now for the, uh, yeah. for the Argoats and double a uh, in the Rockies org. And then 
Uh, Adam Lasky's been throwing it well. It, it's been really amazing looking back at that team. I know Kenny Taylor drafted as well. Like there's so many dudes out of that ball club. So it's pretty cool to see, you know, the turnaround from Duke. And I wanted to ask you about that too, because Duke was once the, one of the worst power five baseball teams out there, like, like point blank period. It was yeah. really, really tough sledding for, for Duke through the ACC. And then I feel like your class, you know, your freshman class was somewhat the beginning of that turnaround for the program. And uh, while this year hasn't quite gone the way that uh, maybe Duke had hoped, there's just this perennial competitiveness that you can kind of expect from, you know, Chris Pollard's team. What did you feel like was that tide turner? Was it your freshman class that kind of he they nailed it? I feel like with your with your class, uh, was that the first class you think that started to change the tides for Duke? I think my class was probably one of the more highly touted classes, just based off rankings, perfect game rankings, stuff like that. Um, you know, things were more national at that point after Coach Pollard had gotten there, uh, and so people could really see that we were bringing in a lot of talent. But I would give the credit to. I think two classes above me where it kind of turned from, you know, Duke students who played baseball to Duke baseball players. Mm -hmm. Like those guys were there to play baseball and move on to professional baseball careers, um, you know, while being smart, while being good students, but they were at Duke to play baseball. And that was the big difference. Um, you know, they were very talented. You talked about a couple of guys in the class above me, Griffin and Jimmy um, and Kenny and Cone and Proctor, like all those guys are in professional baseball, really, really talented. And then my class and, and, the few below me that are the guys that are there now, um, you know, that's what Duke baseball looks like now. It's yeah. baseball players who are also good students. It's not just Duke students who play baseball. And what ultimately made you uh, decide to, to go with Duke? Because again, go, going into that point in your, in your career, where Duke was at at that point, it wasn't like Duke was some, you know, legit uh, perennial contender out there. Uh, you could probably see that there was things heading in the right direction, but what ultimately resulted in you deciding to go to Duke? Yeah. Like you just said, I think things were moving the right way. Um, you looked at coach Pollard's track record at app state and, and where he was previously. And, you know, they were winning, he was turning programs around, look at the the guys he brought in a couple of years before me. And, and even though they weren't bigger prospects or guys that you knew typically out of high school, um, you know, they were ball players. You look, you could tell that they were going to start winning games pretty soon. And I think I was one of the, the earlier guys to commit in my class. Um, and so I helped recruit a little bit. I played summer, I played summer ball with Lasky that summer and met him and, and tried to get him to Duke and met a couple other guys along the way. Um, so it was just a, a combination of seeing things going the right way. I went to a good high school with, you know, parents who wanted me to focus on an education. So Duke fit that way. It was only four hours from home so they could come visit just a, a bunch of different factors that made it a great fit. And, and it really was. I mean, you guys played, you know, set so many Duke program records when it comes to, you know, advancing through the super regional, um, you know, one game away from the college road series. What was it? Two different occasions. Um, yeah, two so years in a row. Just which has never even been sniffed by, you know, the Duke program. So it was a really historic group of guys. And uh, I mean, really amazing to, to see what you guys did. And you talk about some of the teams that you guys played. It was, it was loaded ball clubs uh, that you guys were beating, uh, which, which was really cool to follow before we hop on to StreamYard and, and break down the swing and some of the big moments. I want to talk about some of those big moments for those who, you know, might just be listening to the podcast. Uh, the StreamYard will be on YouTube as we break down some of the swings um, and at bats that you've had so far. But you've had the clutch gene a little bit in the early going of this year. And uh, I know uh, 
Cubs fans are really excited about that. Uh, they they take pride in victories from the top to the bottom, especially when the team at the top is not playing that well. Um, <laughs> it has been really cool to see you come up with these clutch homers. And I, it kind of went back to last year. You had a couple of clutch hits even last year without performing the way you wanted to, as you said. Uh, is that something that's always been kind of in you? You talk about the deep breaths and and mellowing out, you know, and, and kind of calming yourself down in those spots. Uh, is that something that you've always felt pretty comfortable in, in, in the big moments or is this kind of just been a new thing that you've leaned into? No, I've kind of just throughout my baseball career, going back to high school. And even when I was younger than that, I've been in a lot of those spots. So um, I'm not overwhelmed. I don't, you know, like you said, I use my breath to, to calm down. I don't really let things speed up on me anymore. Um, I think that's a blessing. It's, it, it makes the situation a lot easier to handle. Um, you know, we get some pretty good crowds here in South Bend and yeah. it gets loud and, and they want to see big hits and they want us to win. So, um, you know, acknowledging the environment, knowing it's a big situation, but also being able to stay calm and, and just focus on getting the job done has helped, helped me a lot. Yeah, I was going to ask you that because this is probably one of those besides the college baseball, you know, postseason, I guess probably one of the situations where you're playing in front of the most engaging and largest crowd of, of your baseball career. Probably I'm thinking about it because yeah. I, I went to South Bend last year and it, it's a really awesome environment. I, I, if, if anyone's ever in the Midwest, any of you minor league, I mean, everyone that's listening to this is probably a big minor league fan. That's one of the best ballparks I would say out there. Right. I mean, in your experience so far, you've had some pretty awesome spots. Myrtle beach is pretty cool. And then you head out to South Bend now with one of the best minor league parks. Where, where do you think South Bend stacks up in your experience so far? It's one of my favorites for sure. Um, it's a beautiful stadium itself, but, we get great crowds too. Um, I think Saturday we had over 6,000 people here and they were all engaged. It wasn't just a, you know, a big party. So um, they're actual Cubs fans and they, they are local, but they also drive from Chicago to see games and stuff like that. So um, it's a lot of fun playing in front of them. Last question for you so far being just part of a professional organization. And again, a very historic organization with, with plenty of talent from top to bottom. Uh, has there been anybody you talk about Mike Roberts, you talk about, you know, even just the the telephone game of just hearing about what Rizzo and uh, Kyle Schwarber do at the plate. Has there been anybody that since you've arrived in the Chicago Cubs organization that, you know, even just watching from afar, you've learned from or conversations you've had or uh, any cool moments that you can, you know, point towards and in your still very young professional career? Yeah. I mean, uh, I think when I first signed in 2020, there were a lot of the younger guys, some of the prospects there, but also some of the older guys that they wanted to get work in um, because of the shortened season. So uh, I spent a lot of time with Alfonso Rivas and Jared Young at first base and Rivas obviously having a great start to his big league career. And Jared Young is, I mean, he rakes, he hits 350 every year in double A and triple A. So uh, spending time with them, watching them work, um, seeing what a professional batting practice and a professional approach looks like. Um, you know, Brendan Davis is the same way. Uh, I've, he signed well before I did, but I've heard stories about when he first signed. You know, he was a he was a young high schooler. He he hadn't put on the weight he has now, and um, he didn't have the experience. And just seeing him, how he works. Um, you know, he's a top prospect for a reason. So. Um, just watching those guys operate day to day has, has helped me a lot. Yeah. Davis has been one of the, the really cool developments. And I feel like somebody like that, that goes from the skinny lanky kid with a bunch of moving parts to his swing to now that the hitter that he is and the prospect mm-hmm. that he is, 
even guys that aren't established veterans can probably talk to you a lot about you know what they've what they've learned and what how they've developed. Uh, how much of the the Cubs organization do you feel like is very like collaborative and and comfortable? It sounds like you guys have a really good group that you're just comfortable bouncing things off of each other, which I think really stood out to me in the Cape as well. Is that that seemed like the environment you guys had in Katuit? Yeah, yeah, I think that's a big part of hitting. Um, you know, we talk about hitting being nine versus one here a lot. Uh, you know, there's nine hitters in the lineup versus one pitcher. So we all, we, we try to beat the pitcher as a team. It's a lot of, it's an individual effort when you're the guy in the box, but you know, say you, you get out, you walk to the on deck hitter, tell him what you saw and then come back to the dugout and give a report. So, um, and that's from top to bottom in spring training too. Um, we, we spend a lot of time working together. It's not just individual groups and you hit with your affiliates hitting coach. Um, you know, you're working with different hitting coaches every, every day. You're working with different hitting groups every day. So you're talking to different guys about how you feel, how they feel, stuff like that. So um, I think collaborative is a great word for it. It's awesome. And I mean, we're seeing the, the Cubs organization in terms of prospects and a lot of the bats specifically really having great years. It's not just you. It seems like it's it's a lot of different guys, as you mentioned, across the org. So it seems to be working and it seems to be contagious in a good way uh, across the Cubs organization. Uh, Matt, thank you so much for taking the time. Let's let's hop on to StreamYard. Let's break down some swings, some bombs uh, that you hit this year, and we'll get into uh, some of those clutch moments you've had. But uh, thanks so much for taking the time. And again, congratulations on an unbelievable start to your season. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.